Hey, y'all. Be the host of the Wise. Joined by Becca again. Becca, welcome. Hello, guys. Hello. So today we're going to talk about a dark topic. Uh, not really. I mean, kind of, I guess. But um, <laughs> I was asking, this is one of my favorites, and then you went dark. <laughs> yeah. So today we're going to talk about true crime and like society's infatuation with all these high profile crimes and the constant media coverage. And I actually, I didn't warn you about this question, but I was thinking about the origins of like how society got obsessed with true crime. Is there a TV personality that comes to your mind that probably spurred this like infatuation? Nancy Grace. Oh, I knew you were going to get it. <laughs> yeah, I totally was like, Nancy Grace is at fault for this. And I really blame, and it's probably our age, but the Natalie Holloway case. Yes. You're frozen. Um, and what was the little girl's name in London? Madeline. Maybe not London, the UK. Madeline, maybe? Madeline McCann. Yeah. Two cases are yes, McCann. That was what it, I think those two cases were the ones where I was like, oh, we got obsessed. Yeah. Well, but also, I don't know if you ever did, but the show 911 as a kid for unsolved mysteries. Oh, yeah. That man I loved those shows. That guy was, what was, it was, it? Was, was that I was homeschooled? That was our lunchtime show. That in Dallas. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I knew you were homeschooled. Yikes. <laughs> um, okay, anyway, so we're going to do our usual. We're going to ha have a few topics and a bunch of questions, a lot of wine, obviously, here on Space. So I'm going to let you kick it off and talk about the first case we're going to talk about. Sure. So the first one that we'll kind of touch base on is the Gypsy Rose Blanchard case, which currently in the media is the top one to be talked about. Um, just some background on it. In 2015, Gypsy Rose met a man named Nicholas on a Christian dating website, um, talked back and forth for a while. She explained the abuse that she lived under. Her mom had Munchausen by proxy. Um, ultimately, they connected and discussed a plan to kill her mother so that they could be together. Um, there's a lot of back and forth. I did not follow this case when it was actually in trial. Um, it's one that I've just kind of, of course, I knew about it, knew the baseline of it, but it's one I've started following more recently now that she's out on parole. Um, but they conspire together. Eventually, Nick comes down, knocks on the door, gets in the house, and kills Gypsy's mom. So she did not, supposedly, she does not do any of the act of killing, but she was a conspirator in it. So Ends up, she goes to trial. She takes a plea deal, gets second degree murder, and is given a 10-year sentence, which she only serves 85% of. So she was just released at the end of December. So that's kind of where we're on that case. So she's come out of prison. She's married now. She married someone while she was in prison. Um, and now there's a huge media hoopla <laughs> around her, which is a little wild if you think about it in depth. <laughs> So just because, yeah. I mean, we, from the evidence and from her court case, it was shown she didn't act in the killing. However, you did plan one. So. Yeah. Yeah. 
there's a lot of feelings that I have about this case. Yeah. First of all, I just find her. First of all, I just find her. Hold on. We're having internet issues. Okay. So excuse the audio issues. Um, First of all, she creeps me out. Um, I think it's her voice. It's just, it really like grates on my nerves. Um, I, I think, so I have a lot of thoughts. So I think it's odd that you can conspire to kill someone and you like only serve like this wee little bit of time. I think it's because she took the plea deal because the plea deal was that she would testify against the boyfriend, the boyfriend. Well, and I don't, and it's not like I think she's a danger to society because I really don't think she is. Um, But I just, and then the other thought I have too, and I know this happens all the time, but these people that get married while they're in prison to people that they did not know before, I think is so weird, but I think it's more weird on his part than hers, but that's a whole nother topic. Um, But also like, then there's the part of you, like, did you watch the movie with Joey King? No, not all the way through. I, I didn't watch it all the way through either because I cannot stand the voice. And I, I love King, but like she impersonated. I like I can't do this. I can't, yeah, I'm just, I'm out. But like you do kind of feel for her in the situation right. that her mom like did to her really. But like that doesn't mean you kill somebody. I mean, right. Maybe you get like emancipated or something. But this whole like pop culture's like infatuation with her right now. Like my TikTok is overrun with her and I get stuck hearing her voice all the time. I need it to stop. I think it's weird. I think the thing is at first you have this, like you're sympathetic towards her because you're like, oh, well, she was abused for all of those years. And like she did serve because I feel like it's very solidly been in the media of like her mother was killed by someone else. Nobody really followed the case case when it was in trial. They're just kind of picking up the pieces now, years later. And so at first you're kind of like, oh, well, I mean, she was abused. Now she gets to actually live her life. And then the more interviews and everything that she starts doing, because sister can't go home and just be a wife. Nope. The more you're starting to realize, okay, like you're not remorseful here. You did play a part in it. You planned out someone's murder. Like you were with it enough to do that. Yeah. It's, it's odd. So why do you think it is though that, you know, we always say, because we're firm believers that we made the right person famous with Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. Why is society making Gypsy Rose famous right now? Well, I think at first it was that like feel good story of like, she overcame the abuse of her mother and now she's out and she gets to live like a life that she never thought she would get to live. And so you feel this like excitement for her, I guess, in a way, but it's quickly shifting against her. I guess if I liked her or she was endearing to me, I would feel that way. But otherwise I'm just like in my current state, I'm like, what are you people doing? Stop it. Yeah, it's odd. Um, it's an interesting story, but it's not one of those where like, oh my gosh, let's write a book. Let's put her on every news outlet, every pot. Like it's odd. Yeah. And like, go home. Like, why are they like living in New York and how are they paying for all of this? Okay. So I, he did, her husband did an interview and he had mentioned that he had taken off 
it was either a few weeks or a few months from work, like a leave of absence to help her get adjusted coming out of prison and that, which completely understandable. Um, however, if you're married. All, to like that. <laughs> I would assume all the travel and this is just an assumption on my part that these media outlets are probably paying for yeah. their flights and their hotels and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, as she's coming out and doing all of that. So then you have to ask yourself, okay, she was in prison for conspiring to kill her mother. So now she's free based probably on the plea deal and all of that. And she's not the only person that this happens to these people that do plea deals or, you know, whatever happens, they get parole, whatever they come out in the society. Right. And they're free. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're, you know, have their stipulations or whatever. Does society, do we have like some role in how we should like deal with this person? And like, are we making, are we expanding her issues by making her famous at this point? You know what I mean? I think, I think it's almost a case by case situation with hers because she was so sheltered from the real world. Yeah. That now to have all of this media storm thrown at you. I mean, there was a clip that I watched of her husband driving her away from prison mm -hmm. and immediately like gives her a cell phone. And the first thing she's asking for is Instagram. I just feel like that's not what mentally we should be going for first time. Like you need some time to reacclimate to your surroundings. We need to get you a good therapist. We need mm -hmm. to make sure of it you know, all of your rules of probation are set up. Um, and I think we as a society need to not jump to throwing her in the spotlight so much because I just don't think that her mind has comprehended it. And honestly, I get the impression from her husband that he's just raking in the dough from it because oh, yeah. if you cared about us, but like it just, from my opinion, it does not seem like there's any kind of protection around her right now or anyone giving her solid advice of being like, let's step back for a few minutes. Let's only give like your one media interview, sit down. If you mm -hmm. want to do a book deal down the line, great. But right now you're kind of saturating the market, but people are clicking and people are buying into it. Yep. And so I think we've done a disservice as a society of not first saying, let's make sure you get your head straight first. Well, and this is, this is really judgmental to say probably, but, and again, it may be the voice, but I don't know that the elevator goes all the way to the top with her. And I worry that like this media inundation she's getting, like, I, I just, I don't know. It feels like a recipe for disaster. Well, and I'm sure there's got to be some developmental delays there because oh. it doesn't sound like she was in regular schooling. Yeah, I don't know how she I did just, it. I can't yeah. imagine. So obviously her social cues are not there because she just wasn't around it. Yeah. Education-wise, it's probably not there. I mean, yeah. even if in prison, if she was even working towards a GED, which quite possibly she could have been, I'm not sure. Yeah. Even at that, though, you're just learning the basics. There's still a lot of pieces in between that you missed. Yeah. Um, and you're right. I just, she needs a better support system around her to give yeah. her better advice. Um, well, and I think to your point, people are clicking and that's the problem. It's the same with like the blind item culture, like people are clicking. And so the predatory nature of the media, why would they stop? That's how right. they make money. I mean, Honestly, you're kind of watching a train wreck and you want to know the next stop. 
Yep. It feels like it. So the second case we're going to talk about is a complete gear shift here. Um, his name is Alex Murdoch. But if you've watched any of the things, you're going to think his name is Alec Murdoch. So whichever. First so if you're not familiar, um, Alex Murdoch um, went to trial for um, murdering his wife and youngest son. And in the midst of all that, all these financial crimes came out. He was a lawyer in South Carolina from a family of lawyers and solicitor generals in South Carolina, which in South Carolina is like next to God, really. And as far as control, even with the police and all of that in the judicial system, yeah. um, his dad, his grandfather, they had a massive law firm um, that his brother was also a part of. And then he had two sons and his wife. Um, obviously they had a lot of money. So it seemed, um, houses, beach house, cars, all the toys. And so there's a lot of different stories as to kind of how things played out, why he would have killed his wife. Um, I think kind of like the resounding theory is that, you know, his crimes, his financial crimes were starting to come to light and that may have played into it. It's better to be a victim in the public's eye than just a predator. So I don't know. Um, he was convicted of murdering his wife and son. Um, at least a jury of his peers thought he was guilty. So we have to go with that for now. Obviously, they are appealing that. I saw today, actually, on Twitter that the judge ruled yesterday in the appeal that every single one of the jury members has to sit and testify, which is yeah. interesting. But since then, he's also been convicted on top of that for another additional 27 years for financial crimes against um, his legal clients that he was stealing insurance money from, allegedly. Um, and this case really got popular, at least for me, got really popular based on the podcast that existed originally, The Murdoch Murder. And then there was a Netflix like TV special. Right. And it was um, a trial you could watch. We all watched yeah. it. Yeah, we did. I mean, I remember us texting like, oh, it's, you know, like, yeah. happening. so um, and I think I kind of really got into the story because if you aren't familiar to Paul Murdoch, his son that he's mm -hmm. um, convicted of murdering, had also been in a legal issue where he had been driving a boat with some friends that he had grown up with and he was drunk and one of the friends was killed in this boating accident that he Correct. caused. Of course, his family always claimed that he wasn't the one driving the boat, but I've seen the movie. Um, so I was interested in that case and then this kind of all snowballed. And then, um, you know, then they have the older brother Buster who has done some interviews that are very interesting. He's also been accused of potentially being involved in a murder of a young man there in South Carolina as well. Yeah. I mean, these folks have got some issues. Um, more money, more problems, you know, it happens. Um, but so for me, that was kind of like where my infatuation came with the case. And then I think for me too, and I think this kind of ties with celebrities too, we're always interested in their lives because it's so vastly different than ours. Yeah. Um, like we don't, nobody's tracking my jet anywhere because I don't have a jet, you know. Um, they don't track my Explorer when I go down Highway 10. So um, <laughs> I think we see cases like this when people are seemingly very, very wealthy that you're like, how did you end up in this mess? So you get really, it's like a moth to flame. Like, yeah. 
Um, why do you think in this specific case, why do you think it almost seemed like um, society immediately came out and said he's guilty? No matter what the evidence, like before trial, it was almost yeah. like everyone had made up their mind, which honestly, in a lot of cases, people do. But it just seemed overwhelming in this specific case. Gosh, do you think I don't know. Beforehand? Well, I'm guilty of this. Like, I instantly thought he did it. Now, like, the motivations behind it, at least what came out in the trial, were not what I thought. I thought my assumption was that he was at odds with his son based on he felt like he was going to start getting negative light or even more so based yeah. on Paul's alleged crime. And I thought maybe he didn't even mean to, but they got in a heated argument. They had a lot of, they were at their hunting lodge, had weapons and he killed his son and she came up on the situation. Yeah. And in a moment, just, woo, you know, but yeah. when you like, read the interviews with her family and people close to them. It sounds like more the opposite, really, that that he and the wife had issues and that Paul may have come up on the situation. So, but I'm guilty that like instantly I was like, oh, he did it. But I was totally convinced he was not going to be convicted because again, I thought more money, you're going to get out of this, you know? Yeah. I also think because the rumors had already started about the financial crimes that you're like, okay, this guy's crooked. And then there were rumors about the, the other kid that had been murdered, the Stephen yeah. Miller. I can't remember his last name. Yeah, um, and that they may have been connected to that. I think that he just gives off villain vibes. A hundred percent. Well, he didn't do himself any favors when he clearly lied the night yeah. that it happened. And then immediately when you get on the stand, you admit your lie. You yeah. did not help yourself out because now everything you say, we're just. Assuming. Yeah. Well, and I mean, obviously we are not legal experts. Um, In our own right. If you were confused and thought perhaps we were, we are not. Um, <laughs> I thought, and I, I remember us texting about this while the trial was happening. I also don't think his defense team did him any favors. None. Well, they I think they very heavy handedly kept just pushing it off to the prosecution. Like, we don't have to do anything. You're the one that has to do all the work and proof, which in a court of law, yes, they are the ones that carry the burden of proof. However, you should be doing a real good job when you've got somebody up against as many crimes as he was to be deflecting everything and to be saying this can't be true because of this. Because yeah. you're right. They just kind of seem to be like showing up and it's always and worked for me off, before because I know everybody. I don't have to do this, but. Yeah, they came off really pompous to me. And so I instantly didn't like them. Um, and so I think that that was an issue for me. The thing that I wondered about, and it ties to your question, is, you know, have you ever been on the jury? Like, have you ever done jury duty? Uh, I've gotten jury duty before, but I've never been selected. Man, it, if they could get me for a murder trial, that right. would be like something good. Um, yeah, who would be in totally? The jury box would be like, I have a question. <laughs> like, or I know that my facial expressions would totally give me away. I'd be like, a hundred percent. But I do wonder, like, allegedly, right? When they interview all the jurors, they like make sure you don't have any conflicts of interest and things like right. that. Um, I have been summoned for jury duty actually when I was in college in the town I went to college because we all registered okay. both there yeah. and 
it was like a hit and run accident. And I just happened to attend the same college that this guy that was on trial also attended. I didn't even know him, but yeah. I got thrown out of the pool because we went to the same school. Gotcha. But that makes me wonder, like, how is it even a plausible thought that anyone is like not already impacted about a case like this because of our media consumption and and like how do they really get a fair trial anymore yeah we all thought he was guilty yeah well and that town that he came from was so small everybody knew everybody everybody was already against him because of the boat crash years earlier right so you have that huge bias and you have all these people i don't know how they felt like they were getting an unbiased jury. And then didn't, wasn't one of the jurors, the brother of one of the sled agents? Yeah. I feel yeah, like that it turned was, out there was still an issue. And they knew. It's not like he didn't disclose it. They knew. So it's just. Well, and I think that it's almost like we were talking about with NFL football. It's almost like these cases like this should happen at a neutral site. Like there's no way that that should have happened in South Carolina. Like, honestly, it probably should have been like in Boston or somewhere like yeah. not in the South, not where he could have like impact. I just, and not yeah. that I think he had an unfair trial. I mean, I think he was, was guilty of sin, but I just like, he's not the only one that gets in this boat, you know, like they're because of like these podcasts that come out that really deep dive on crimes that are happening. Yeah. I mean, there's one podcast. Um, I can't even remember what it's called right now, but like it was Payne Lindsay, one of Payne Lindsay's podcasts. Like you don't even know who did what, like he walks you through the crime. And so yeah. by the time you get to the end of the podcast, like the trial hasn't even started. They've not even arrested anyone. And so yeah you're instantly going to be like against that person. So I just don't know, but again, we're guilty of it. I watch, right. I watch the Netflix. I, I watch, I listen to that podcast. I just told you one yesterday, S town. Yeah. That is so freaking fascinating. I cannot wait for you to listen to it. But again, like, I think this specific case had built up for years because there had already been something on the boat accidents there was already a podcast because it's a small town. Right, People yeah. want answers and they just kept digging and digging and digging. Yeah, There were Dateline specials, 2020 specials. There was so much out there on this case that we had prior to it actually going to trial. And he, well, like I said, he didn't do himself any favors. And of course, our girl Nancy Grace was in the, you know, in All the audience. But it also makes me think back to the OJ trial um, you know, obviously that's kind of the first trial I remember like the world being obsessed with. Yeah. Watching it on TV, but also we had watched on TV, the Bronco chase, right? Like yeah. I remember before, watching that. Yeah. Before the trial even like becomes a thing, we watched that and it's like, well, why would he have done that? If he's not guilty, he must be guilty before yeah. he even like has a second for a defense. I'm not saying he was innocent or guilty, but I mean, yeah. I have opinions, but I still just think that like, but again, we're guilty of it. We're like the media does what makes money. Like we do our jobs because that makes us money. Right. Just like we do. And yeah. I don't know that you can like wipe the slate clean and start over and do this differently now. Right. But I do think there's a responsibility that the media has completely abandoned and that's responsible journalism. Agreed 100%. And I do think that that now is like an old wives tale. Like, I don't even think that's like a thing anymore. They just, it's who, 
this incessant race to be first to report whatever. Who cares if it's true? You can right. say it's false later. Okay, who cares? But if yeah. it is true, you you win the money because you were first to put it out there. Yeah. Well, and there's so much pressure on the courts to convict so that society feels safe, that families get answers. And now we're seeing more of this social justice reform. We're like, these people are spending 20 plus years behind bars and they truly were not guilty. So I think you're right. Journalism, they have a responsibility to start being better at reporting, but also we have to have detectives and the police force and everyone involved being more protective of the evidence, protective of the information that they're giving out. And just because you've got buddies or whatever the case may be, like we still got to get the right person. Well, and I think it's interesting because like, you know, in trials, you'll hear that there'll be like gag orders in place, right? Where like the people involved can't speak about the case, but then we can, we can play it on TV live. Right. Like to me, that doesn't make any sense. And I think like, we obviously quite clearly cannot rely on the media to do the responsible thing. Can we not rely on the judicial system to not televise these things, even though we watch them? Right. <laughs> to me, that just seems like a basic starting point. If there's a gag order in place, they yeah. shouldn't be speaking to the media. Don't put it on TV. And then the media, they shouldn't have any nuggets to go on. And if they do, somebody is breaking the gag order. Yeah. I just, it's interesting which cases get put in the media where we can actually watch the full trial yeah. and then which cases are not. And I know a lot of times those are state rules um, and guidelines, laws that they have, which is fine, but it's just become more where people are wanting to watch the trials. And I think on the one hand, you have people being like, yeah, get the actual evidence out. My client's innocent or whatever. But I do think that there are some cases where we have to be very cautious that we're not re-victimizing the victims in these cases or their family and friends because they're having to relive a lot of this stuff years later. Yeah. So, I, looked, I looked up what was the first televised trial. And I don't even know if you would remember this case. It was in 1991. It was Pamela Smart. She was like, she I can't remember if she murdered her husband or again, if she was just like conspiring to murder him, but it was like the first one. So, I mean, we're talking a long time now we've been doing this, but I think of other cases too, like, um, oh, I can't think of the guy's name, the one out in Colorado where he killed his wife and children and put them in like the oil barrels. Oh yeah. Like I don't remember his name, but I know if about he him. had been innocent. Like he'd have never stood a chance. Because yeah. it was like instantly, like they were barely in the ground for the funeral before he was already in the public side, guilty. Yeah. I do think a lot of those cases, like him, Alec Myrtle, I mean, I do think they were guilty. Mm -hmm. And so, but then on the flip side of like the judicial system, you think about like, and we are not fans, but all the work Kim Kardashian has done to like help get some of these people exonerated. I mean, I'm yeah. not like her, but I can applaud what she's doing. Um and I think like the the jails or prisons are overrun with people who are truly innocent. Right. Like, their cases aren't the ones that get put on the news. But here's the thing. If their trials had been on TV, they probably still would have been convicted. Have you ever seen one of these trials that we've watched on TV where they were innocent in the end? No. I don't think so either. I mean, I'm sure there has been, but I, it's not one you remember. No. 
I can think of anything. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. What's the, uh, tell us about our third trial. Well, situation. Third one is the Idaho murders case. Um, And that one happened. There were four college students that were killed in an off-campus apartment in mid-November of 2022. Um, Seemingly, they were killed in their sleep. They were friends. One of them was a boyfriend of one of the girls that was murdered. Um, And then for a while, there were no suspects. There was a lot of rumors getting out because it's a college town. A lot of kids want to talk and share their thoughts on it. Um, And so at first, the police came out and said, you know, this was a targeted attack. There's no you know, risk to the public. Well, then they had to walk that back really fast and be like, we don't know who did this. And it took, I want to say it was like seven weeks until they arrested their primary suspect, which is Brian Koberger. He was arrested at the end, excuse me, end of December, 2022. Um, There's been a little bit of information that's leaked out as to how they found him. Um, He was arrested at his parents' house. The cops had apparently gone through the parents' garbage and gotten some of DNA off of items in there. And that's what linked him to a knife sheath that was found in the apartment. Um, So currently he is awaiting trial right now. They have it saying that it's going to go to trial this summer, um, but there's no like confirmed date on that or not. So this one, I was actually not really following it until you were like, have y'all been watching this? Like, what is going on? Yeah. And so it got me a little more into it. And I still am not like completely up on it like I was like the Murdoch. But because aren't there some like weird pieces with the surviving roommates that seems a bit sketchy? Like, I don't know. Were you involved? Like, yeah. So I think at first everybody jumped to like, he's guilty. All these people are innocent because there was a surviving roommate that was in the apartment that was not harmed when these people were killed. Um, It has been noted that their wounds were very aggressive, deep, and many. So you would have to assume it was not a quick kill. Um, I would assume they didn't die immediately. So probably there was noises. There might have been fighting. We don't know any of that yet because, like I said, it hasn't gone to trial. So now there's been some scrutiny on how did this other roommate not hear this? Why did they wait and call until the next day? Then it was reported that they called and said, um, that they had roommates that were unconscious when very clearly these people were yeah. no longer with us. Yeah. Um, so there's yeah. been a lot of that. There was speculation that, you know, the surviving roommate didn't want to sit for an interview, didn't want to give information. So there's been a whole lot of different speculations that now we're kind of like, he probably killed them, but it sounds like there's more to this story than what we have. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, now here's the million dollar question. If they televise this trial, will you watch it? A hundred percent. This is a problem, but we're still going to do it. <laughs> um, I do think it's interesting. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen with his, but again, I'm already convinced yeah. he's guilty. Like we might as well call it a day. Like I don't, and I, I don't mean, me, when you come out and say his DNA was found on the bed at a crime scene of yeah. the holder that held the murder weapon. To me, I'm going to be like, yeah, you're probably guilty. But I'm also going to watch the trial because I don't think I don't know that I believe he was alone in it. Yeah. 
I don't see how you kill that many people brutally like that. And like, nobody tries to stop you. Like, I feel like, yeah. Yeah. I feel like I'm going to watch the trial, but really to figure out if a roommate was a part of it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, or if there was someone else, yeah. I think. So here's my question too, around this. So we've talked about these three trials and a couple of other ones. Um, do you think society's infatuation with true crime stuff, podcast, whatever, in pop culture, do you think it leads to more crime? I do think that it has the potential to, because people that commit these crimes are not mentally well. Yeah, clearly. And yeah. so I think that there's a piece of it where they want to be famous in their own right. And some of them want to be famous for crimes that they commit. So mm -hmm. I think you do run the risk of just publicizing some of these things to where these mentally unwell people are like, oh, look at this like God of a person right. that's getting all this recognition. I could do the same if I go and commit a crime. So I definitely think we walk a fine line with that. I think too, that there's like this maniacal side to people that you watch you watch these trials and like the crimes play out and everything and some crazy person could sit there and think like, Oh, I could get away with that. Like I wouldn't mm -hmm. get caught. And so then they test the theory. I mean, yeah. I am like, there is no way I could hurt anyone. Well, I guess that's not true. If someone did something to my child, I probably could. Right. But, I'm gotcha. Yeah. Um, but a lot of times I sit there and I'm like, how were you so dumb that you got caught? Like in some of these situations, like, what an idiot. Well, yeah. and I think specifically in the Idaho ones, Brian Koberger was a PhD student in criminology. Yeah. Exactly. So I think people were like, why couldn't you, didn't you go to classes to learn how to get away with murder? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, left evidence. Well, speaking of, did you watch that show, How to Get Away with Murder? No. I didn't really either, but now it makes me wonder if I should have. But, um, I do think, though, that I think it can potentially lead to more because, again, I think there are attention starved people that will do something stupid because they see this as whatever. And I think tying it back to Gypsy Rose, they could also see like she's out now. She's on every TV show. She's, you know, whatever. She's got a bazillion followers on TikTok. Again, if you're mentally unstable, like some of that stuff seems appealing. Like, yeah. So I do think that we could be perpetuating the issue. I mean, um, we've had, I know in South Korea, there was that one young lady who allegedly, I don't know that she's gone to trial yet, committed a crime just to see if she could get away with it because she was obsessed with TV crime dramas and crime novels. Like, Oh yeah. I do remember really what we're doing here. And you've heard of like school shooters who, Yep. Look back on the Columbine thing and they were like, you know, that kid yep. was bullied like me and that's impressive. I want to do it too. So yep. I mean, we have proof that these things are making more criminals. Why do you think that there are some, because let's sadly, let's face it. There are people murdered all day, every day. Yeah. Why do you think some of these cases blow up and others don't? I think a lot of it has to do with who keeps it in the media. If you look at the Idaho cases, the family was pushing. They wanted answers. They wanted someone to be found. They weren't going to let this 
go and become a cold case. So you have people that will do interviews, they will give the media a sound bite, they will continue to push um, mm -hmm. to keep it in people's eyes. Um, and the bigger the scale, it just, some things just latch on and others don't. I think with yeah, I know you yeah. had four people killed. I was gonna say the people. Of people. Yeah, you've got, then you have parents that are worried. Um, yeah. You have other college students that then become a little afraid. I think Alex Murdaugh, because there were so, it was such a small town and they had done so many wrongs against people that no one in that town let it die. So yeah. I just, honestly, I think it's the people closest to the case that keep pushing it. And eventually it latches onto the right media outlet. Yeah. Why do you think, I feel like this happens and maybe I've dreamed this scenario up in my head, but because we are both like pretty consistent, constant like media absorbers, I feel like I hear about a lot of crimes and potential trials mm -hmm. that I don't see stay on the radar. Yeah. Like, well, I, I think probably some of like, that plays into like people that take plea deals and it never goes to trial. People that plead guilty and immediately just go to jail. So I think a lot of those just die off in and of themselves. Um, or some of them take so long maybe to go to trial and then trial isn't televised. So we just forget about it. Yeah. Yeah. I do think that unfortunately, like obviously it's not impacted our family. So we don't always yeah. stay invested, especially if it's not on TV. I don't go read the newspaper to find out <laughs> what has happened. Yeah. You know, and here where I live, we have murders in an insane amount daily. Yeah. Um, Somehow I have noticed that on our, on this show, we continue in every episode to bring up a parenting question. And so <laughs> I decided I'll stick with the theme. Um, but I was thinking about this because obviously we, we hope and pray that our children never commit a crime. Right. And right. we try to raise them that they wouldn't. Right. But I do think that there is an aspect of all of this true crime infatuation that needs to be like a nugget of wisdom in our parenting. And maybe it's like, maybe it takes on a few different lives. Like it's a good reminder to a kid to say like, maybe not, not my eight year old. Right. But like, as he grows up, like if you commit a crime, I mean, I'm, I'm going to try to scare him. Like if you do something wrong, they're going to know. And yeah. the whole world is going to know. And yeah. you're going to be guilty. I'm not going to jail for you. Orange is not in my color wheel. No, mm -mm. Will no. no, I love you a lot, but. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think though that it's a good reminder in parenting to like teach our kids, like there really is no such thing as like what's done in secret anymore. Like our society has become what it is. And it, I think it is a constant news cycle. That's part of it. It's social media. It's like, the constant noise, there just really is no such thing anymore of like, nobody's ever going to know. Yeah. Well, anything you do online, people know about yeah. anything you do at school, at work, somebody's going to snitch on you as soon as you do something they don't like. Yeah. So every single thing that you do is being watched at some point, you might not be found out immediately, but it will come around. Well, and I think too, and then on the other side of it, another like prong of this would be to say, I do want to teach Judd to realize that like 
just because someone is accused of something doesn't mean they're guilty. Like I really do believe in the whole, like you're innocent until proven guilty because for his sake, if he was ever falsely accused of something, I would want that for him, you know? And so I think it's important to, because I think that that in and of itself, like, I don't even think kids today would know that that's a thing anymore because, because to your point earlier, we just instantly assumed they're guilty. Mm -hmm. And so I think as these kids grow up in a society that is so inundated with all this, they're not going to remember that that was ever even a thing that innocent until proven guilty. And so I think it's important to remind them, like, I mean, like the Idaho thing. Yeah, that's that's tough. Like there's DNA. But like Alec Murdoch, like. At first, we know, like, it's not fair because you don't put yourself in his shoes. Like, you don't want to be assumed guilty when maybe you didn't do it. Right. I think that, like. I mean, I think parenting is not for the faint of heart in general, but I think that our constant news cycle and like the world's obsession with being inundated with all of this adds a whole nother complexity to parenting. Well, and I think it's just one of those things that we have to teach our kids. There are consequences for all of your actions. Sometimes the consequences are things that I decide. Sometimes depending on what you did, it's out of my hands. Someone else has to decide. If you want to act up at school, It's the consequence that the teacher, the principal, whomever comes up with. If you want to do something that breaks the law, then you're that's really out of our hands. So just teaching them that there's consequences for everything. Um, One of the things, you know, that we talk about often with our oldest is even if you're not doing the wrong thing, if you're in the group that's doing the wrong thing, automatically you're an accessory there. You're going to be lumped into it. So you have to be mindful of who you're around and what you're allowing. Well, and I think too, I mean, when you were saying that, I did think of play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. Mm-hmm. Of course. <laughs> of course. Um, but, I, you know, I think it is, you know, you become who you're around and that whole theory too. But like, I think it's important to teach them about some of these cases too, because like the Gypsy Rose thing, she didn't pull the trigger. Yeah. But she still did time and she's still a convicted felon because she was a part of it. You have to be careful what you're talking about because you never know if you're just like shooting the crap or like, Oh, I wish I could do whatever. You never know the person hearing it. It gives them an idea or like permission to do something like something you would never intend. You just never know. And your words are way more powerful than we think. Right. Well, The other day I was talking to my husband because I was like, I feel like our kids don't know about current events. Like there's a lot of things in the news that I just feel like they don't know that we would have known as kids. But then I looked back, like when we were home, if the TV was on, the news was always on. We were always aware of what's going on. We were always sitting and watching the TV or sitting near it and hearing it. Whereas now, if you think about it, I've got one kid might be outside playing. One kid's going to be upstairs doing homework. And 99% of the time, I don't have the news on for myself. I'm just whatever comes up on my phone app. And I think, too, you have to think about, like, how life used to work, right? Like, everybody's home from work. Mom's cooking dinner. Five o'clock news comes on or the six o'clock news, right? And it was just like a part of the schedule and routine of your life in that moment. Yeah. But now, because it's 24-7, Like there's no like, oh, it's six o'clock. The news is coming on. It's just like it's always there. And I think it's we're so inundated. We just don't I don't turn it on partially too because like, you know, you get into like the biases on each network and all that. 
but yeah, I get my news on my phone. Like, and sadly, a lot of the things I hear about, I see on Twitter. And so then I go and like research, like, what the heck is happening? You know? Well, and I think also there seems to be so much more crime than when we were younger, or at least more reported crime than when we were younger. So then as a parent, you also have to, how much do I want you to hear and see? Because I have to make sure that we're still age appropriate here. I can't just throw everything at you, but I need you to be aware of some things. Yeah. Like my son is um, very anxious little fellow, <laughs> just a ball of anxiety. And so there are things that happen that we're very guarded to make sure he doesn't hear about because it will send him in a spiral. Yeah. For instance, when we were in New York. I said to Aaron, like, I would love to take you to the 9-11 memorial stuff, but I don't want to take Judd because he has no idea what that is. And if we introduce that topic, like, not that, I mean, he is eventually going to learn about it and all of that. It's part of our history, unfortunately. But I do think that there's that aspect of it. But then I, I do think that it's important that they understand, like, that this is part of our world. Like, yeah. it's, it's not a safe world anymore. And unfortunately, there's like this balance we have to take as parents between like, I don't want to scare the crap out of you, but like, right. it's scary out there. Yeah, there are certain anytime like around election time, I always have the TV on. I just want you to hear what's being said. I always remember growing up as a kid. I never knew who my parents voted for. My dad would go get a newspaper because they used to have all the candidates, what yeah. the platform was and all of that. And yeah. he would lay it out the morning of voting if he didn't do it earlier. And we were to read through all of that and decide who we were going to go vote for. But now so much of that is on the TV. Like I want my kids to be accustomed to that. If there's a school shooting, I always have the news on because unlike your kid, my kid thinks if somebody comes into school, I can just attack them, problem solved. <laughs> That's not how it works. So just, totally. I think every kid, every parent, you have to kind of figure that out for yourselves. But I think at the end of the day, it's so important that they at least know some of the things that are going on to understand like this little bubble that I have around you at home of perfection or at church or at school where I know you're protected and safe. And I know the influences that are coming on you. That's not the case when you start. I've got one that's going to be in high school in a couple of years. Like there's only so much of a bubble I can keep around that. But I want you to know enough that if you're in a situation or if you hear things that you can start to at least critically think for yourself. Yeah. You know, we've talked a lot about like the negative aspects of these crimes and these trials and all of that being so in our media. But I do think that there is a flip side to this. Um, so there was a young girl in Arkansas when I guess we were in junior high because she was younger than I was, um, but she was kidnapped, um, at a softball field, Morgan Nick. And this, I mean, this happened a long time ago now, 20 plus years ago now. She's still never been found. Um, her mom still to this day, Colleen Nick still to this day is at events all the time, spreading awareness. And there's been random leads. Like there was this allegedly this guy that, um, but he's dead now because it's been so long and just, you know, it's never been solved. And so this family has never had closure. And I think to myself a lot about when I see her in the media, I think to myself, gosh, if we had the media we have today, back when Morgan was kidnapped, I guarantee you, we would have known what happened to her. Yeah. No way it would have gone unsolved. None. Yeah. 
I mean, think of all these cold cases 30 plus years later that are starting to get solved because we have all of the DNA available to us, media outlets. Now people are willing to come out and speak, whereas maybe before they were scared. Yeah. That plays into it. I think as parents too, like, I mean, I just can't imagine. It's like, I can't even fathom what that must be like, but like, there's no you know, no stone I would leave unturned if my child was missing. And so in those moments, I mean, you better believe I'd be on every network. I would have every friend like blowing up social media. And I think to that point, it is good because something, something will come out at that point. And because there is no such thing as secrecy anymore, somebody's going to talk. Do you think that in this day and age of podcast, specifically true crime podcasts, do you think that there's a positive to that and to the deep dives that they do? I mean, I do, but then again, like we just also said it was a bad thing. So I do think that there's like this fine line. I think I'll be, again, I'm interested. We'll follow back up with the show about once you finish listening to S town, but that was a case or there was things happening in that, that were unsolved before the podcast was created. And since the podcast has been created, some of it has been, um, Piece sort of decided, sort of. I don't. There's still some unknowns. Yeah. But Payne Lindsay is a guy that does a lot of podcasts where he deep dives onto a crime. Like I don't know really how he hears about them or what. I think people actually call him now to come in and like let us tell you what happened and see if you want to do yeah. a series on it because it is like a whole other form of having a private investigator almost. And so 100%. I do, which is a job that I think we could be good at as well if right. we. I mean. Just saying, maybe this is turning into a true crime show. <laughs> so, I, mean, I do think that there are, like, I guess overall, I do think it's good because I think the more that can be in the light, the better yeah. when it comes to like wrongdoing and danger and things like that. So, I guess overall, if I had to say one way or the other, I think that it is good, but I, it goes back to a lot of things we've talked about, like even stupid transfer portal. I do mm-hmm. think that there are like regulations around things that need to be changed or adjusted because I think a lot of the laws that we have around how all this is done in the court system are archaic. Like yeah. podcasts, TV, televising, these, these trials, that wasn't there when they made these laws. Right. And so I do think that that part of it needs to be updated. And I do think that like the idea of seeing more trials happen far away from where they occurred mm-hmm. in the right direction. Yeah. Well, and I think it goes back to what you had mentioned earlier of being responsible journalists. If you're <laughs> going to do a podcast and you're doing the research on this to make sure that you're doing it in a respectful way, that you're actually looking at facts, that you're looking at the case, um, that if you are interviewing people, that you're being mindful to not re-victimize them. Um I think that there are pieces to that. I think that it's beneficial a lot of times too, because especially with the cold cases, our law enforcement does not have the manpower to reopen all of these cases. But if they have new evidence brought to them that could crack it, then I think that they can jump on that piece because a lot of the legwork was done for them. So, but it's just tempering that with being actually respectful and looking at actual facts and not already having a bias or kind of making what information you have fit your narrative. I do think it would be interesting to find out from law enforcement officers, detectives, and people like that, 
how they feel about the media's involvement. Because I could see in some situations where they would be grateful for some help, you know, especially in these some of these offices that are very short staffed. But I would think that a lot of times they probably get super annoyed and that like, did they mess up the evidence? Did they do something improper that's going to get thrown out in trial? I just think that it'd be interesting to hear how they feel about it. Yeah, their take on that would be interesting to know. I think it's interesting that we keep coming back to in a lot of these episodes, no matter what the topic is, this idea of responsible journalism. Because like, think about it with the blind item episode. That's a lack of responsibility in journalism. But even like when we talked about college football, we're talking about football news today. People are breaking news for other people that has not even been confirmed by the people. Well, I, there's so many outlets for people to make a statement as fact. They can do it on TikTok. They can there's do it no on Instagram, on Twitter. Right. Yeah. Nobody, the majority of people are not going back to verify what you said is accurate. So yeah. I think that our generation specifically has seen the damage that that causes to where now we're trying to shift the narrative and being like, no, we want we want you to do this based on fact. Even if the outcome isn't what our narrative was, I would much prefer the facts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, any other thoughts to? No, I think it's just, I think this, the whole true crime thing is just fascinating um, for people to kind of deep dive into the whodunit world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and kind of feel like they're detectives too, especially in the podcast when you're getting one episode at a time, you're yeah. taking in that information and being like, oh, I bet X, Y, and Z happened. Like you're kind yeah. of playing detective and figuring it out as you go. Um, and I think that that's just interesting to people. Um, I almost hate the podcast like when it's once a week, if I'm listening to it in real time, because I'm like, I am going to need mm-hmm. to know what happened. I need it once it's finished. I need to know I can get the answer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm excited for you to listen to S Town, but I know I have to start that this week. Um, well, I think that about wraps it up. So thanks everyone for tuning in. Oh, in updates of our like distribution. So we are on yeah. Spotify now and we are on Apple now. Here's the problem. I, I somehow, I don't know, but in my distribution app, somehow the show on Spotify and Apple is called. It's not called Y-Space. It's called like Y-Craft or something like that. So I'm working on getting that updated, but the links are in the bios on our social media. So check that out. Um, But I think that's it. So thanks for tuning in. Thank you guys. Bye everyone.